We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where there's just so much going on that I can't even talk about it because if I talk about it, it's going to ruin your day. But hopefully, hopefully you've been watching the book of Boba and enjoying it as much oh, as yeah. I have. Oh, yeah. But that is not the true purpose we're here. We're not here to talk about Star Wars. We're not here to talk about the book of Boba. What we are here is to further our discussion with both Krebs and his brother, Matt. We're back for part two of The Will of Time. Yes, and folks at home, just so that you are clear, Krebs is both singular and plural. Yes, <laughs> for this episode and the last one. Yeah, but... <laughs> My wife was a little distressed this Christmas. I said, you know, we gave neighbor gifts, said, from the Krebses. She was, Krebses? No, it's, it's it's just the Krebs. I said, look, honey, it's been my name longer than it's been yours. It's Krebses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I do, I, I, yes, that's the proper grammatical answer. That is <laughs> however, the proper, however, it I use, sounds weird, right? I, yeah, yeah. But at least I know when to, you know, where to put the apostrophe when we're talking about possessive. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those names that just when you do it plural sounds weird, you know, like mm-hmm. Phoenix, the plural of Phoenix, you don't ever want to say because it just sounds inappropriate. <laughs> is it Phoenixes? It's Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like Cyclops and Cyclopes. Yeah, so we actually have a, a high school up here that they made the Phoenix their their uh, mascot, and they did not realize the plural version of that because you know they're like you know go Phoenixes, go Phoenixes. But no, when you say the plural version, it does not sound appropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, that but, sounds exactly right. And welcome, Dungeon Crawlers, to Grammar Hour. <laughs> yes, grammar. Hey, I mean, we talk about writing. And grammar is important in writing. We support all sorts of nerds, including the grammar nerds. Oh, my gosh. But that's no. But to your point, Daniel, tonight is a very special night because we do not often do two part series or three part. We don't do multi part episodes. But last week was just so freaking good in terms of of wealth of content that it did not make sense for us to not do a second episode and that was a double negative and now we're back to grammar so here we are (laughs) here we are doing so last week previously on dungeon crawlers uh we talked about the things concerning the wheel of time amazon prime series with which we were not happy things that we didn't like and i'll tell you right now crawlers it was not an exhaustive conversation but we hit a lot of the high points but tonight we're doing away with all that because negativity only gets you so far and positivity is good stuff. And it's always good. It is always good to find the goodness in things. Otherwise, how could Luke have saved Vader, right? So we gotta we need to honor that spirit. And I would love for us to discuss tonight the things we loved about this series. You two, both of you said last week that you thought that there was more good than bad. Yeah. Uh, but we only have like... like 45 to 50 minutes left of the show. So we got to keep it short, but, um, but I would like to talk tonight uh, about what we thought was excellent or good or enjoyable about this series. And I would like to start with our guest, my brother, Matthew Krebs, the returning expert on all things wheel of time. Hello everyone. Peace favor your sword. Uh, May the light shine upon you. All right. Uh, by Grapthar's hammer. I will have... No, wait, no, wait. Um, <laughs> no, no, wrong fandom. <laughs> May the light of the Queen Harpy's Chrome shine upon, upon you. That's a different movie. All right, so, uh, so Matthew, so let's talk about 
what you liked about this show. Uh, give us give us some insight as to what you think they did right. Oh, there's uh, you know, there's a number of things that I thought uh, really came off well, and that I was excited to see in an adaptation in a visual medium like this uh you know fans of the books will know that there are some there are certain scenes usually involving a battle that are just that put the epic in epic mm-hmm. uh it, it, it what makes what makes this an epic fantasy and there was a few things a few highlights in the show that i kind of felt the same way about even though this j- did just cover one small fraction of the story uh now we talked before last week about uh, some of the special effects and some of the CG and everything. Um, and admittedly, towards the the end, the the last few episodes, the shadow spawn Trollocs and Fades didn't quite look right. However, yeah. the first couple of episodes, when the Trollocs were practical effects, were real people in costumes, um, were were they looked amazing. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole secret to getting the Trolloc right is this is not a slavering orc. This is an animal-human hybrid that have intelligent human eyes with a ferocious beast's snout or maw and weird horns, and they can run on a four legs or two legs, depending on what species they are. Um, and it's that twisted, where they're kind of human, but not, you know? Uh, they're just enough human there to make it uncanny. That's yeah. how you get a frightening trollic. Okay. Now, I and mean, people can debate whether the fade matched the description well enough or not. But all I cared about is that when he turned his eyeless gaze upon me, I knew fear. You know, that was that's the whole point of it. So the the effects they had at the for the first few episodes, I I loved their uh, rendition of the Trollocs. On that same on that same vein, uh, the Battle of Winter Night. Yeah, keep keep going, but I want to weigh in on this one too. Sure. Um, I, it was, it was a great way to introduce things. They had a lot of things they had to establish in the first episode and I wasn't, I didn't have high expectations, but you have all these Trollocs coming in and they are, they're frightening. It's terrifying. And there were a few things, a few important story beats they had to hit, not the least of which is the Two Rivers character. Now, at first, they're all frightened because you don't see Trollocs all the time. A lot of people grow up thinking they're just stories. And so to be naturally frightened as they're killing your neighbors, yeah, that was a that was an acceptable reaction. But they rallied and they started stabbing and fighting back. And they're like, nah, this is my home. You're not taking, you're, you don't get to have it. Um, I loved seeing that aspect of the Two Rivers people come out. But the thing that I loved most about it was the choreography, I guess I'll say, between Moraine and Lan. Mm-hmm. Because they talked about Aes Sedai are, are so powerful, they can one of them can turn the tide of battle. And warders are these fantastic fighters, and there's some bond connection between them. And so in this episode, they had the challenge of showing what makes an Aes Sedai special, why people will say something like that, and the the what a bond is. Because it's not something that was really well explained. They showed it instead. And if you watch, and I went back and watched that fight more than once, and the way that they did, I don't know that this is necessarily book accurate, but I liked it anyway. There's a certain, what's the, what's the D and D term? There's a boil time, a, uh, what, what's the, what's... 
there's a cook, oh. cook time or something. It, it takes a minute for the uh, spell to come together and take effect. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. 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 When you're casting it. And so it took her a little time to do all of these things. And Lan had to cover her back and, and give her enough space that she could work her magic. And the way that they were fighting and he was jumping and, flying all around things at one point there he shouts down and that's when she does her backwards bend over and he slices the sword right where she was killing two trollocs that were there in the way just their awareness of one another and how well they complemented each other and this goes back to some of the things we were talking about last week how there's a complementary aspect to this you've got a magic user and you've got a fighter to go back to D&D terms. <laughs> uh, but you've got a, a a man and a woman also. And they're, they're doing very different things, but neither one of them would be successful without the other. And together they were unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think that they met that challenge. I, I really loved a lot of how that battle went. And then the last thing I'll say on that, and this is something for Krebs, um, they did a, uh, a one-er with Matt when he went out looking for his sisters it was a one shot no cuts yeah as at least that's how they made it appear they made it yes, appear that th way this is true so however they composed it and everything i thought it added so much tension and drama to that, those few moments and you saw so much because there's Trollocs running around in the background. There's people getting killed. He's dodging from place to place. And you, and the camera's all shaky and following him and stuff. Not too shaky. You could actually see what's going on. Yeah. I thought that was also an excellent piece of cinematography. Well, I mean, just to, to quickly comment, this is, you know, kind of the fundamental of writing. You show, you don't tell. That's yeah. exactly and what that's... I was thinking where they did a great job with it they didn't over explain how the magic worked and all this other stuff they didn't explain all of the beasts attacking they showed it in simplicity and really easy detail you could see the fear um you know like you said with matt scrambling to do that you could feel the tension because he needed to find his sisters um, you could feel the tension of all the villagers as you saw them scrambling uh, for safety or in, in some cases fighting against these creatures that they thought were nightmares. Um, I think they did a fantastic job in that without having to explain it. And then you get to see the spell casting. Instead of going into this diatribe of how they do it, you just see it, yeah. which was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to jump on so much of this. Like, uh, let's go back to the Trollocs for a second. You know, one of the things in like every sci-fi fantasy or even just like regular TV show that, that just cheeses me off is that whenever you have a horde of antagonistic soldiers of some kind, they're almost always D&D &D one point ads. Right. Like yeah. like stormtroopers, we often joke about and I even just saw um, uh an all CG unreal engine fan film short that was brilliant about a rookie stormtrooper talking to a veteran stormtrooper. And then he's like, well, it's a good thing. This armor's blaster proof. And then like the veteran just like stares at him through the helmet. And he goes, it is blaster proof, right? They told us it was blaster proof. And then like the veteran just stares at him some more and he goes, Oh, come on. Like, and he started, but that's the truth, right? Like every time we turn around, 
a stormtrooper can't hit its target is not really a threat. There's just a lot of them, but they can't do anything right. So they just end up being cannon fodder and, and throwing lasers down lanes so that the heroes can run away instead of walk away. Right. Um, with very rare exception, the part where Kylo Ren invades the village because Poe Dameron was there, and then they execute the people. Basically, if you don't have plot armor, you're toast. But if you do have plot armor of any kind, no one can touch you. And the well, same thing happened... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, there's kind of... Uh, I don't know if this is 100% true, but um, it's it's a, something I, I read that the, the Emperor started cutting budgets. So their armor was not as protective because he just figured he could just get more people it's a vast galaxy well, especially with the clones however, right? <laughs> however pick up a new batch of clones <laughs> yeah, however there were special units that did have the actual blaster proof armor right uh, like the 501st you know that that served under vader uh, which makes more sense why you know and they pushed them through training quickly so most of them were newbies just trying to fi- fire a blaster it, let alone you know the ones on like the tantive yeah, they they were fairly confident, competent, but at the same time, they were also under Vader's command, and if yeah. they screwed up, they were dead. Yeah, well, and and there's also like you've got less competent soldiers finding less less competent soldiers, right? Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. there's that. But but it's, and it's not just that. Like another example is in Terminator when you have all of the T800s with no uh you know bio shell, yeah. where it's just the endoskeletons. they walk around and they're trying to kill humans. And if you have plot armor, you won't die. And then there's even like, like in every one of those movies, the Terminator has a moment where they should be able to hit their target and they, they don't, they hit the wall or they get really close or they reach out too slowly. And I'm like, dude, they're the most ferocious killing machines. They're made just to kill. They should do their job better. Um, The Trollocs, the Trollocs, what I liked about it, was reminiscent of Josh Brolin's line in Dune. They're brutal, right? Like the Trollocs show up and they show the ferociousness, the fierceness, the the swiftness with which they exact uh, their their uh, their their terrible butchery of people, right? Like I actually found myself thinking, I I know they're not going to reach the main characters, but I hope they don't reach that. Like I actually had real concern for the main characters because these things were just horrifying and then they got Nynaeve by the braid and I was like oh my gosh that I didn't expect that now I knew you know plot armor they're going to be okay but at least there was a real sense of dread and their power their speed all of it justified why the dark one would use animals in that way because it makes them faster and stronger than humans right so I loved the brutality and the representation of the Trollocs. To your point, Matthew, like in the beginning, they used a lot of real people and they had some CG assist. Uh, and then as you got further away from the first episode, they got further away from practical effects and it showed. But still, the Trollocs were established as something ferocious and terrible. And I love that. The Fade, you mentioned the Fade. The Fade, I was also a little put off by the design. On the one hand looks totally creepy and really appreciate that aspect, right? On the other hand, though, one of the things about a fade that is so awful is that you have every reason to believe it's a human until it's too late. And they can converse with you and they will they will try to manipulate you. And the the whole shiftless cloak thing, like all of that I felt was kind of lost in their translation. However, it was still a fade 
and it, and then it attacked the main characters, attacked Matt and Rand, and they made it like faster and fierce, and and that part was kind of cool. So I'm still I'm still waiting to see if their interpretation of a fade is worth it, but I am. I think that there's some potential there. I think there is potential there in that representation. I, I kind of think that they are holding the fades back for season two. Yeah. We really only saw a fade fight once, and it was just for a few seconds. Every time else, they were leading the battle, or they were hanging out, just looking creepy and intimidating. But the fades are supposed to you know, be fast like a serpent, and just so hard to hit because they can dodge everything and so hard to avoid being hit because they're such they strike so quickly and so a warrior who can stand toe-to-toe with with the mirror draw is is something to behold and i i kind of think that they wanted to you know get used to trollocs because they're ubiquitous um but come season two we're going to show you something even scarier yeah. Than a trollic. And yeah, you, can't, you, you can't put everything out out of front you got to save something uh to to go to the next level well, I mean, we see how ferocious the Trollocs are, and they can barely survive. And now we're upping the ante by throwing in the fades. Um, I mean, as far as what I really liked about the series is the fact that, yes, I mean, we, we discussed some of the points we didn't like. But overall, it still was a really solid series. Like, you know, I, I love the Sword of Truth series, the books. But you watched that TV show, and it was abysmal. I mean, it was not even close enough to say wow this is like the series i mean i remember you know going through the first season and like this is nothing like the book like the only similar things are names and character classes really i mean yeah yeah you had zed the wizard you had kaylin the confessor you had the mord sith and you had you know Oh man, why is his name escaping me at the moment? Um, Richard, uh, you know, and he started out in the woods, and yeah, you know, it's just like they just messed up all the key components, and then we get to season two, and they met, meshed the second and third book so much together it made zero sense, and then Richard loses his powers, which, like, what the heck are we doing? You know, right. it's just like we. I, where is this going? Because this is nothing like the book series. So I can at least say, yes, besides the changes we've noted, it still seemed like the same series. <laughs> you know, it, you're, you know, kind of, as we said before, it was just a gleam in telling, retelling the story. It felt like that. It, you know, it was another bard telling the same story. Yeah. He put in his embellishments and his tweaks, but it still felt like the same story, unlike some other TV series based off of books where you're just like, oh, what the heck? I mean, you know, even movies sometimes struggle with that issue. You know, The the Shining, reading that book and then seeing the Jack Nicholson version of it, you're just like, what? This isn't, I mean, it's similar, <laughs> but not the same. Uh, so I appreciate that fact. Sure. I do appreciate the fact they made the Trollocs very vicious and mean and it wasn't like okay we're gonna kind of pull this back a little bit because it's a tv show no they didn't pull the punches um and you really felt the terror and the tension in the scenes where it counted so i think those are some really good points there yeah and you know for me uh especially with like 
especially with like my film background as limited as it may be. I, I'm no Scott Silver, but, um, <laughs> but you know, the thing that, that I appreciate, I think the number one thing that I liked about this series was that it came out when it did not just in relationship to the pandemic per se, but we live in a society. No, we live at a time when uh, CG representation of really difficult things like ethereal weaves and um, horrifying monsters and, uh, you know, shadows that stalk you and things of that nature, even madness, trying to depict madness, right? The visual representation when, when Rand and Matt are walking across the plains and off in the distance, they can see either Berlon or Camelin or something, right? Um, or is it Tarvalon? It um, was uh, Shatter Logoth. It was well. They saw Shadar, uh, yeah, Shadar Logoth as well. But but I'm talking about like like there's a scene where they're just talking on the road, and you can see off in the distance a living city over the water. That's a, it's like a oh. peninsula almost. Was that was that? That must have been Tarvalon then. When they yeah, were getting, I think so. When they were getting there, yeah, yeah, because they're going to the tower. Um, yeah. Side note: I don't think the tower was as majestic as the book described. Like, like their visual representation did not quite match. But that said. Um, like they did really cool things using CG, using um, all the modern technology that we have to make a fantasy story that was not um, laughable. One one of the things that I noticed is that the characters, their clothes are not always clean, which was something that I appreciated about the Lord of the Rings movies by Peter Jackson, right? Um, they, they traveled, they leave, they leave the village and yes, their clothes are respectably clean except maybe down by the hems but then as they go in their journey they're getting messier they're getting dirtier until they you know get a chance to bathe or whatever um they they got to be a bit more organic and all the representations that they had uh the quendiar the um the uh the weaves you know sidar sidin all all the visual representations were so beautifully well done in my opinion um so that's something that I really appreciated was the visual representation. Yeah. Now, I kind of want to change gears just slightly. Is there a character or characters that you guys witnessed that you thought was just as good as the books or perhaps even better? I got a couple think thoughts there. Um, first, one real quick thing. I wasn't sure about Yosha Stradowski. As as Rand, I was mm. really thinking somebody taller. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's uh, taller than them, right? He's taller I, than everybody I, I else. I wonder how much of that was uh, the way they shot it, though. Forced perspective. Uh, yeah. Um, however, um, he did a real good job of being the whiny farm boy from Tatooine. I'm sorry, from <laughs> Field. Uh, I, I think that he he actually he, he actually surprised me. He was better than I expected. However, the standout character for well, we gotta give Rosamund Pike her her dues as as Moraine. She we mentioned this before, they shifted the focus of the story to Moraine Sedai mm. um, instead of of Rand, which was an important shift if you're going to conceal who the Dragon Reborn is. Yeah. Uh, and she is such a good actress, and she has such gravitas, which you have to do if you're this Aes Sedai. Um, I and thought she's she... a Bond girl. Yes, and she, and she has that title as well. Uh, I thought she did a fantastic job with that. But my favorite character by far had to be Barney Harris's Matt Cawthon. Yeah, like he was such a good Matt. 
Oh Des- my word. Despite the fact that I don't think the book paints him as like the popper of the group, but no, he is the mischievous not. one. Yes. He well and that's the whole thing is that the Wheel of Time draws from Earth's mythology and the whole idea is that things that happen here are supposed to be the seeds of the mythologies that we get to ages and ages in the future or the past because it's a wheel get that wheel of time uh so uh he's the trickster anything having to do with any trickster god or demigod uh is you know has something that ties into matt coffin in in robert jordan's books but barney harris's portrayal of that was so good he's this guy that because matt's just charming he does bad things and he should be the person that you never want to have around your daughters or anybody else and you want to count your fingers and toes when you shake hands with him but he's just so funny and so charming that you let him get away with it and i thought that 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 barney harris did a great job of balancing them out there were a few favorite lines and stuff in there that he just delivered so well uh ran mouths off to to moraine and and matt says you know my lady does shoot fireballs so let's try to stay on her good side eh (laughs) i i that made me laugh out loud and then later on he was like you know rand how are you even going to get to tarvellum and rand says well they say all roads lead there and matt stares at him like that's not the way roads work (laughs) (laughs) and another thing of his was uh, when they're walking along and he's you know jealous of rand's jacket and asks if he can take a turn and he's like you know in the heroic stories they'll tell one day, you know, there's the story of Matt Coffin, the man who once walked while a little chilly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just things like that. It brought some some humor to what would have been what is a dark thing series anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I just I, I loved him in there. Um, and that's not to say that anybody else was bad. I mean, I land supposed to be stoic. I thought I really liked he was dangerous. Yeah, I love seeing a dangerous fighter on the good side. Yeah. There's, so there are a lot of good characters in there, but I'd say Matt, Matt Coffin's my favorite. I, I mean, my favorite out of it is Lan, actually. I think they did a fantastic... Daniel Henney did a fantastic job portraying the character. You know, he didn't over-emote, you know, because he was a very stoic character. He delivered that very well. You saw the strain when he was hurt, Um you know, but then you also saw the tender side of him, uh, you know, when Moraine was injured, you saw the tender side of him uh, in several other scenes. But, you know, when it came time to action, man, he really performed. And you, it was amazing to see him spinning around and attacking those Trollocs and, and various other uh, moments when we've seen him. So, you know, and, and, and not only that, you know, it, he wasn't like the brawny beefcake uh, type, um, you know, warrior. He, you know, he's he's very slender, and but he's super deadly, uh, which I I love that. You know, and, and of course that scene that we have already talked about. You know, uh, in the two rivers where the two were fighting. Um, you know, back in the day, reading Dragonlance. You know, you always hear about how Caramon and Raceland. You know, yeah, the warrior with the sword and his brother throwing magic, and it was, you know, they did their best showing that. Um, but in the, watching this on screen, seeing how, a, you know, a magic user and a fighter coexist in the same place was beautifully done. And, you know, I love that, that scene you already mentioned where he's like down and she just bends and he slices and it, 
it was just so wonderfully done with how cohesive uh, the two of them interacted. So I think I really loved that. And it, it tied back to those days when I was reading those books. Um, so it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, and one, one could argue that Daniel Henney had one of the more, one of the more, if not most difficult roles there. Yeah. Because like you said, he couldn't emote because that would be out of character, mm -hmm. yet that didn't mean his character didn't feel these things. Yes. So you have to show that you're feeling them while keeping them inside. Mm -hmm. And all you can do then is very subtle things with your eyes, your, your, your mouth expression, your, the way that you move, your pauses, the way you deliver your lines. Yeah. It is a much harder job. I think. Well, I, I mean, looking at him, I have to equate it to Leonard Nimoy playing Spock. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you play a character that doesn't emote those emotions? You know, because that's just natural. You know, if someone does something, you know, you, you get, you, you know, it's like, ah, you know, uh, you, you want to growl, you want to fight, uh, you know, emote that you want to uh, show your, your you know sigh with your impatience and things like that and he just he doesn't he just delivers this and i'm sure on set you know behind the scenes it didn't work that well you know there were probably moments but what we saw on the screen was is probably as close to perfection as someone that is so somber that it just was beautiful you know what matt and lan are are absolutely excellent choices for like character depiction um i, I but i i kind of hope to surprise you with this one just a little bit but I, i'll tell you who stood out to me by low by like leaps and bounds by loads uh logaine the depiction of logaine in this series i thought was actually even better than the books or at least brought justice to that character right like in the books we understand he's the false dragon we understand that the madness is has creeped in we understand these things about him we understand that he's terrifyingly powerful i i will say that like the the representation of him in this show honestly surprised me at multiple points what i liked about him most was how charismatic and how believable he was as the true dragon, which is a sure sign. Like that's something that a false dragon, a good false dragon has to have. Yeah. He has to be believable. He has to be someone you'd follow to your death. He has to be someone you'd follow into, into Dragon Mount, right? Or into, into Shail Ghul to fight the dark. You have to believe he's the dragon. And I got to be honest with you, even though I knew Rand was the dragon going in, um, he was the most believable uh, dragon presented in the series until they revealed Rand. It was, I loved Loghain. He He's my number. He was my number two. Um, I really like how, like, so that first battle scene where we see him and there's that guy, you know, things are just going crazy and he just walks up and he delivers his speech. It's not a long one. It's not a, you know, it's not this monologue. It's very simple. And he wins him over. But yeah. What's even more cool as, you know, as we see this, it's like we see the madness, the way they depicted the madness. And man, he, he, he delivered someone with confidence and arrogance, you know, saying I am the dragon. And yet, they, you could still see the madness going on behind the scenes within his mind as he's doing this beautifully done. And I think 
that really helped his character more than anything you could have done in a book. I want to jump right on top of that because I thought their version of of depicting madness, first they went a rather tropish way, which was still kind of a surprise in the moment when you see two people running from the Red Aja and he's, you know, talking it out with this other dude. And then he like says something to his compatriot after they've been captured and the Aja are like confused as to whom he speaks. And then it cuts back to him and he's alone right so that was like that that's a very typical way to do madness they've they've done that in a million movies even like rescue dawn with christian bale and steve zan um but but then he's on he's on that like mezzanine right he's he's on that lookout point from the from the fortress it reminds me very much of like minas tirith from lord of the rings right and he just and he walks up to this to this dude and then they have Related to the representation of the one power, they have other voices, both masculine and feminine, that talk to him in his like almost inner monologue, right? That are conversing with him and he's making decisions. But what I loved about that moment was even though it was sort of like two devils on his shoulder trying to tempt him to like snuff out this unbeliever and stuff, he chooses the better path because he is a world conqueror if there wasn't the red aja if there wasn't rand if there wasn't all these other elements in motion Logain would conquer even though he's the false dragon which would just lead the world into chaos and destruction right but but he could do it and their representation of madness being related to the one power i thought was excellently well done well no he really believed he was the dragon yeah amazing I, I agree with I agree with you, Krebs. Um, he, it's it would be cheap. It's it's an easy way out to do the 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 wild and crazy kind of thing. Make no sense. Shout and gibberish. Well, that's insanity, right? Well, yeah. you know, think about it. We we I believe as a society we've matured a bit when it comes to mental health issues. Yeah. And when somebody actually is having uh, an episode. Um, it's not dancing naked in the street, shouting that there are spiders on you. Although that happens sometimes, that's not what insanity looks like in uh, in every case. Av- yeah, on an average, you can look at what an average, or I should say, typical, what a typical case of insanity looks like. A lot of times, the person seems very lucid, but their but their their brain takes a left turn at Albuquerque. Uh, as they as they go through and they don't reach the same conclusions that a, a normal sane person would. And I thought that that was excellently displayed in both the unnamed male channeler and the uh, and Loghain in, in both of those cases. And there was even the hint that some of this may be happening with Rand. And of course, there was the suspicion that that was what was happening with matt although we knew that there was something else going on there the manifestation of it has to look the same whether it's shatter logoth corruption or the taint off of Sidine, it's it affects the way that you think and that the way that you perceive the world and you jump to irrational conclusions but you aren't completely incapacitated at first uh, you know, uh, following this thread, no pun in a moment here, um, I'm also curious what you uh, what you both thought about the way the one power was represented, both Sidar and Sidine. Uh, let's start with let's start with Daniel on this one. Daniel, what was your thought about the one power representation? 
I mean, visually, I was, I was hoping for a little bit more, but I get we're still early in the story, so we may see more. You know, they didn't want to throw everything out at us, um, but I think they did a good job. I mean, really, uh, you know, when we see other movies and other films that involve magic users, it's just suddenly wow, we're throwing out fireballs and stuff like that. This worked. You know, they did a much better job depicting that it. You know, it wasn't that way. You know, she she was still able to hurl stones at things, but it worked differently. We saw the light creeping in and grabbing a hold of the rocks and throwing it, um, which I really liked. I, I enjoyed seeing that. Um, you know, when they were binding him, you know, we we saw them. Uh, we saw the power. You know, we saw it coming in and, and binding him, which I thought was really cool. And not only that, even when he was bound. They still depicted how he was still resisting and fighting. And you can yes. see the tension in their face, even though we weren't seeing the actual magic. We still knew it was in effect because, you know, they're sitting there like, oh, he, he's fighting us. This is, yeah. I, I think they did a, a great job. Now, as far as the male side, I, I wish we would have seen a little bit more, uh, especially with Rand. I wish we would have had more opportunities because we didn't really see a lot of the male side of things. We saw the female side of things, but again, that could just be because they've chosen to wait until book two, because now we know who the dragon is. We know there's events going to happen. And so they're, you know, kind of like with the fades, they're going to level up the ante in the next season. Now I, this was what I thought about the first question I had when I heard the, they were going to do a TV series is how are you going to represent the one power? Cause I'm just seeped in the lore and it's, it's a fascinating magic system. Um, and you've got the five powers, the five elements uh, that they use and you got to weave together the different elements and different amounts and in certain ways to cause an effect to, to, for your spell, if you will. Um, and they make a big deal about that in the books. And I thought, wow, this is going to get really complicated and they better have some really good visual effects artists to make it clear to the audience what's happening. And then the more and more I thought about it, the more I realized this is the kind of thing that works in book form, but probably is if you try to do it, it's just going to be a mess. It's going to be more confusing when there aren't words to, ex to explain what's going on. So what we were mentioning in the last episode, there are some things you can do better in a book. And there are some things you can do better in a visual medium like television yeah. and there, and you don't try to do one in the wrong medium. Uh, and so I, I, so I, having reached that point, I accepted and liked their representation of the one power. So rather than doing different colors for different threads or whatever, there's these white ethereal threads that you can see when they're, when they're doing magic and they form shapes and constructs and we saw that happen in there like uh, like da daniel's example of the shield going around uh logain uh, things would take shape they actually weaved these threads into something so i'm like that's thematic very good um and in the male half you also saw the white but there was this black thread covering it Mm -hmm. And yeah. I thought, oh, that's clever. I wouldn't have thought to do that. But you can see it's the same magic, but the male part has this darkness on it. Now, one thing, so that's what we got. One thing that we, that I, I, I wish they 
one thing I would have done differently, okay, some things they could have done uh, perhaps a little bit better, is I actually would have liked to have seen a different color for the male half versus the female half. They did not explain, and they didn't make a big deal very much. I think it only mentioned once, as I recall, in there that men and women wield different parts, uh, different halves of the true of the 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 true source, um, and the and also they almost contradicted themselves because men can't see what women weave and women can't see what men weave and the people who can't channel at all can't see anything. It would have been great if there was a scene where the audience knew there was some major magic going on and but it was from this viewpoint or perspective of a non-magic character. So you see this person gesturing and something happens, but they don't see any of those white threads. That would have been a good scene to put in there as a way of showing, not telling, that if you're not a magic user, you can't see it. And that the the threads they're putting in there is only for the audience's benefit so that they know that there's some magic being woven right then. Uh, so, uh, but But as far as the limited budget they had to work in and how fast they had to go through the story, there's a lot of lore including this, that got sacrificed for the sake of getting more material into the story, moving the story along, uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, what you just said about, like, you know, there's this massive magic going on, and it would be really cool to see it from, like, a, a lay person's view. I was reminded of John Soares, who's been on the show, by the way. I was reminded of John Soares' series, Go Sukashi on YouTube, where you have a Power Ranger-like superhero who's fighting bad guys. And from the outside, it looks like he's being a lunatic, fighting, you know, be, being like a weird, terrible martial artist. But from his perspective, it's like calling down universal powers and doing all these crazy things, right? Um, I agree with you. My thought on the male half of of the true source of the true power. Uh, true, true power is different. Sorry, sorry. One power, <laughs> true source, right? Yes. Um, sorry. Uh, I I agree with you. The first time a male channels and it comes in as white threads and then the black starts to like enshroud it. Uh, I thought, okay, that's interesting. That's not how I would have done it, but that's interesting. My thought was after they established the female half um, with like the, the you know, um, with the what's the word I'm looking for the not not wispy but just like um like this kind of fog and the mist yeah it's like this not quite effervescent either but like you have like this very light gossamer they have this gossamer white thread that comes in and uh they manipulate that the way that they do weaves I wish had been more weavy I wish it had more patterns more braids more knots um things like that so that it looked more like magic you know for lack of a better term like a magic doily because the more complex the weave the more powerful or, or intricate the spell etc but with the male half I would love to have had the material look different. I'm okay that it looks the same because it's two halves of the same source. But instead of being white where the black enshrouds to show the taint, I would have loved for the weaves to have been black to start. And then, you know, each one of those threads has multiple fibers. I would love for some of those fibers to have that oil, that that not quite right rainbow oil on the surface of water appearance or have some of that like sort of like almost a uh, black symbiote venom effect. Like you could see that the threads were not quite right. It should yeah. be again with the show. Don't tell. It should be one of those things where your mind is able to recognize that something is 
off. Something's not right. A visual and, effect that evokes a tactile memory. Yes. And I would have loved that to have represented the taint. Now, I realize they were trying to be a little bit more, you know, expressive to audiences who didn't know what to expect, but they do talk about it in the show. And I think it would have been cool for them, to, for the audience to pick it out for themselves. And so, but I do like the way the one power was represented. Um, including all the things that you guys said, both positives and constructive criticisms. I, I agree with what you said. Uh, we, we're running short on time. Just very rapid fire. Are there any other honorable mentions of things that you liked? Try to keep it short, but make sure we get the point. Let's start with Matthew. Uh, absolutely. There was uh, some things we didn't get to, but I know that you would be a fan of um, as a filmmaker yourself is the, the settings and locations were just amazing. Uh, the costuming did not reflect the budget the show had. I thought they really did a great job for for everything except perhaps the tinkers. And, and yeah. they, they weren't terrible, but they could have been better. I you agree. Know, it's like, yeah, the water could have been warmer and the costumes could have been more <laughs> colorful. Uh, but uh, and then the soundtrack. And the music that they had for this, if you guys, I don't know, maybe you or maybe some of the listeners ha watched the, the series Runaways on Hulu as part of the Marvel television mm -hmm. episodes they were doing. The uh, theme song for that was very ethereal sounding, just had a voice wordlessly singing. And it was in, in the soundtrack in the Wheel of Time reminded me so much of that, but it had a little more of a, almost a Celtic uh Th sound to it um you know variations on on that theme so i thought the music was was really good uh the cinematography those shots that they took and the way they did that and it blended pretty well with the cg enhancements to the backgrounds and and stuff like that so that was really good i think there were a few missed opportunities there was a wonderful place there where you could have talked about pacifism versus violence that was the whole point of the, the way of the leaf story the way of the leaf that's right and they got into it a little bit but i don't think they went far enough to for the payoff well i don't want you to go too far down that path but i hear what you're saying i do want to ask you guys what you're hoping for to you know what you're hoping to see in the next season but I, I are there any other honorable mentions of things that you really liked about this season so I think that, you know, if we had, there was a, definitely a few scenes that were highlights, uh, man, you can't, you can't go on without talking about the blood snow where uh, Rand's mother, Shiel or Tigraine, depending on which <laughs> uh, name you want to use, uh, man, that fight, a single woman, uh, Aiel woman in labor, taking on the Ilianer companions. Oh my gosh. Uh, that was fantastic. When Matt has his dagger out and looks into the shadows and says, I see you. Oh, I got chills. Uh, we've talked about the uh, winter night battle. There were a lot of really great scenes yeah. like that. And lastly, x-ray materials. Uh, if you guys watch it on your, your PC <gasps> or a yes. mobile device, do not neglect to look at the videos in the x-ray. There's five uh, animated uh, shorts that give a lot of information about the lore in the background. I thought that was excellent. I just wish Amazon had advertised those more, yeah. or perhaps made them available on YouTube, uh, because th those were very well done. And I think it's information that would enhance a viewer's pleasure. 
Nice. I didn't even know about those, so thank you. Uh, Daniel, any honorable mentions of things you liked about the series? He just, he just said all mine. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, seriously. Um, no, I, I think the, the fight, uh, Rand's mother's fight scene is Oh, my amazing. gosh. I mean, it is so stunning. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen many battles where women are, are fighting other people, but this is a single woman that is pregnant and in, in labor and in labor and slaughtering people left and right. And then that last scene where the guy comes up behind and just, Ooh, and you're just like, ah, like there, that's the one thing I can say that this show did really well is be able to deliver the right amount of tension at the right moments. Yeah. Because you, it, at the moments that the beats needed to be there, where you felt stressed or tense or like, oh my gosh, no, they hit on those perfectly. I, I do have, I have to agree. They hit those right. You know, and that's one thing I really love is, you know, cause when you're writing, th those are hard to hit. Those are really hard to hit. And I think when you're doing TV or film, if you don't do those right, you miss opportunities. And I think they did a really good job with those. That's so true. Um, for me, I, the Aiel combat moment I thought was brilliant. You know, the, the, rep the representation of not only the way of Aiel fighting, but also the weaponry. And, and when I say the weaponry, I don't mean just the Aiel stuff. Like the short spears were amazing. You know, the, the, I think there, I don't remember if there was a buckler involved. There may have been. Um, but also the Heron Mark blade, the Crescent oh, Moon axe, the Ruby dagger, even the different warders from different lands with different fighting styles, all their weapons were believable. Yes. And the main important weapons I thought were represented with great fidelity to the book. Uh, also, and we mentioned this last episode too, but I just want to point this out. An entire scene done believably in a made-up language, the old tongue, was so freaking good. Like, I was reading the subtitles, but I believed it to be a real language. I haven't looked into it, but I would not be surprised to find out that they that they dug into the old tongue as found in the books and they went through the, the rigmarole of getting the right grammar and all that stuff. Like, they did a really great way. And the last thing I'll say is the ways. The way the ways were represented, I thought really matched the books. Um, there, uh, There's, uh, what is it, Machin Sheen? Yeah, Machin Sheen. Machin Sheen, the Black Wind. Um, that's very hard to represent, but that urgency, that terror, the the way that the path kind of just looks like the path they've always been on, you know. Um, I really like the way the ways were represented, and I hope they do more of that. Yeah, let's talk for a second about what it means, what it takes to have a good payoff. Because I think the show was hit and miss when it came to payoffs. For a payoff, you've got to drop clues along the way where that payoff makes sense. And then you get a really big emotional reaction from the audience. Yes. Now they made several attempts at doing that, but because the story was rushed, because they didn't have enough episodes and they were really cramming way too much material yes. into the, the limited time that they had, there were a lot of them that did not hit. They, they reached the payoff true. moment and you're like, eh, so-so. But there was a couple that I thought they did really well. If the, there's a several dream sequences and you almost have to have a second viewing to catch it, but the man with the f flaming eyes. Baal Zaman. 
Yes. He shows up. And at first, it may not register as significant, but then he keeps showing up in successive dreams and becomes more and more prominent. And finally, at the end, Rand has that dream and Baalzaman is there. He shoots him in the eye with an arrow and the guy reveals his face. That's a payoff. You know, yeah. that that this 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 guy was creeping up behind you from episode one almost. Uh, and finally, in the last episode, he's there. That's a good payoff. The second one that I thought was really good was Pat and Fane. He shows up in the first episode and he's whistling. And it's oh, a weird yeah. kind of off tune. Uh, you know, it's not an identifiable melody, but he's whistling something. And then there's just this one thing that's a little bit off. He's not afraid when the Trollocs show up and he just disappears. He's only on screen there for two seconds. Uh, and so it, you, there's a lot of different explanations that your mind could come up for that. But then later on in Shatter Logoth, when Matt goes out to find the dagger, you don't see him. At least I couldn't see him but you hear somebody whistling on those quiet streets. And uh, then later on, as they're um, in several different places, even in Tarvalon, you hear the whistling. And if you're really looking sharp, you'll see him hiding in doorways. And I didn't actually catch that till my second time through. Um, but there are several points where you hear where the whistle announces that he's there. There's even whistling in the ways. Mm -hmm. And and so it that's another thing where they're dropping little breadcrumbs along the way. And finally, Pat and Fane's role in all of this is revealed in one of the one of the one of the last scenes of the last episode. That was also a really good payoff. Now, there's some other things that press might be wrong about that scene that weren't great. But the Pat and Fane part, I thought, nailed it. Yeah. So that's how you do a payoff. Some of these other things like the women linking and fighting off the horde, that wasn't, that wasn't shown that there weren't enough breadcrumbs to show why that would be important. Uh, and some of the, uh, and, and yeah, the Aes Sedai and the tower and the politics there, those were things that they were trying to do, but didn't quite, didn't quite hit. They were just a little bit off. You know, I wanted to do a whole th segment on what are you hoping for in the next season, but um, I'm going to leave that just to Matthew. I don't think we should all weigh in on, weigh in on that because the show is running long, but, That's fine. Uh, but Matthew, as the resident Wheel of Time expert, uh, is there, uh, give us like one, two or three things that you're really hoping for in the next season. Well, the next one is going to cover the Great Hunt because they got to go retrieve the Horn of Alir. Um, and so that's going to be really exciting. I don't expect that they're going to do portal stones. I think they're all going to stay in this world. Uh, and Rand's got to get to Falmy somehow and the Shan Chan. So the actual hunt for the horn, or rather chase for the horn, uh, dealing with the Shan Chan uh, conquering uh, Toman Head and seeing this culture and the chaining of women who can channel. Uh, and then Rand, you know, fighting Baalzaman again uh, was going to kind of be the big things there. I'd love to see um, the horn get blown. Mm -hmm. What are the heroes of the horn going to look like? I will feel robbed if that scene doesn't happen. Rand doesn't have to fight in the sky. That would kind of be dumb. Um, but he but having the heroes of the horn there would be fantastic. And the other thing is. Um, 
we got to we got to do more of Perrin's Wolf Brother stuff. That's oh, got to get de- that's got to get developed really quickly here because uh, I think that he's he's lagging behind in his development. And then the last thing would be the new Matt Cawthon. Um And I hit the, the name of the actor escapes me at the moment. Um, but you know, I'm I'm putting my faith in him. Hopefully he'll be able to live up to what Barney Harris started. Uh, but I really hope he gets a chance for some character development and to make that role his own. Awesome. Excellently. Well done. Thank you very much for all your insights. Uh, I, uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show to talk about Wheel of Time, which is something that is near and dear to your heart. And thanks to you, I am a fan of this as well. But before we go, Daniel, do you, do you think we have time for a lightning round as promised in the previous episode? Well, because we promised it, it has to happen. It has to happen. You're it, absolutely right. It is right. a must for every guest or guest host that comes on the show. Since I couldn't possibly spare you just because end, you're my older brother. This is the end of this. This he has. It has to happen. All right. Can I face the music? All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. This is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Most of them are just kind of softball questions, but I want you just to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Don't give it too much thought. This is a lightning round. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, yes. But before we start, I'm going to love one question in here. Oh, do you want to go first? No, you you do yours and then I'll lob mine in. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Ready, set, go. Are you a pets kind of man? No. That makes it very easy. What's your favorite color? Blue. What's your favorite food? Hamburger. Other than the books and the RPG, what else do you have that proves you're a Wheel of Time nerd? The Wheel of Time collectible card game. Literally thousands of cards. I got every one. Better than Pokemon. I, I'm very I'm very envious of that, by the way. I'm very <laughs> envious that you have all the cards. I have a Rifts card game that's not complete, and it makes me nuts. Um, also, for the record, guys, he does have a Heron Mark Blade and a painting of him having a Heron Mark Blade. All right. <laughs> and, then, and then finally, finally, um, what is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film Kroll? That it's awesome and uh deserved a lot better than it was and there's so much potential we could do that movie needs to be remade just so we can add more to it but it was awesome for its time you know what you're right i will remake that with my film friends thank you all right so here's my 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 lightning go daniel go never happens what was it like being the older brother to krebs <laughs> um, oh, there are so many stories I can tell that are too long for a lightning round. Uh, but it involved uh, lots of giggling, lots of shenanigans, and uh, occasionally carrying them around by an underwear wedgie. Ooh. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I <laughs> I was gonna go super tongue and she can be like, there was so much farting. We have, but <laughs> we, have, we have a new Krebs sticker. We have a new Krebs sticker. What's the sticker gonna say? Car- carried around by an underwear wedgie. Yes, yes. <laughs> carried tidy. By an under- uh, carried by an underwear wedgie. There it is. Tid- tidy whitey carry handle. Yes. Krebs has grown into grown into his adulthood, but as a child, he was actually rather small. And uh, if it doesn't, even if it, especially if it embarrasses him a whole lot, he was so cute and adorable. Oh my <laughs> gosh! I like how you said was. Anyways, 
Um, also, also, while we're on the subject, the subject of the stickers for just a moment, folks, we know that we mentioned the stickers a few episodes ago. Yes. We are still planning to do that. We got delayed in terms of the design and the printing, and that's why we haven't done anything on the yes. website with that. But please keep your eyes open. We will let you know when we get those to drop. But the designs have been coming along. We are getting them printed, and we still really do want to... Form an alliance with you so we can go check out Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and give you the honest goodness feedback on how great or terrible or baffling it is. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. So, folks, you know, here it is. It is the end of another amazing episode. Not only that, you've had two back-to-back episodes with back-to-back double crebs. I mean, how can you go wrong with double crebs? You know, it's like double mint gum. I mean, if you remember those old commercials. Uh, double your pleasure, double yep. your fun. Yes, exactly. Uh, that sounds like it could be trouble. Yes. It probably is. <laughs> Actually, I was about to say, and so, Crawlers, I'll take a five-week hiatus to give you a break, and then I'll be back. <laughs> but, yes, I mean, take if you haven't watched th- this series, definitely do. Uh, if you're a fan of fantasy, but you haven't read the book, that's okay. You don't need to. It is still good enough that you get a good show delivered to you. If you're a fan of the books, uh, you know, but haven't watched it, give it a watch, honestly. And, and do it from a perspective of, like we've already said before, this is just another gleam in retelling the same story and putting on their own flair and twist in it. It does deserve you watching it and giving it a shot. Yes, there are many TV series out there where it just bombs. I don't think they do that. There are a few eh, moments, but I think they still deliver a good story uh, that is well done. So uh, give it a shot. Uh, Enjoy it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it, as always. And with that said, we're out of here. And Dungeon Crawlers, tell your story, whatever it may be. And whether you're a lay person who can't see magic, or you're on your own personal journey to be the true dragon, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always.